Hey everybody, welcome to episode one of Podcast Maps. My name is Graham Brown, right here in 2021, starting the journey in Podcast Maps. And it's a great time to do this because there are 500 million people listening to a podcast every week now. And what started primarily as a US trend is now global. Look at the data, and this is data from my report, the Podcast Market Report. And by the way, if you want any of the data, the insights, the guides that I'm talking about in the Podcast Maps podcast, this is what you need to do. Go to podcastmaps.com. That's podcastmaps.com. And just go and get access to everything. You can sign up and get access to the Podcast Maps data application beta. You can download the podcast SEO guide free, currently free. I don't know when you listen to this, whether it will still be free. And you can subscribe to the podcast. I'll be sharing data, charts, stories about where we are now in podcasting on Podcast Maps. That's what it's about. It's a map. So looking at the top podcast markets in the world, if I asked you which is the most penetrated, i.e. the number percentage of adults who listen to podcasts every month market in the world, you'd probably say something like the US because the US was first. Um, podcasting was invented there effectively. However, the US isn't in the top three of podcast markets in the world. I'll read them out to you. South Korea, 58%, Spain, 40%, and Sweden, 36%. And that data was pre-COVID. So we only can imagine how much that has grown now. So South Korea, for example, is the podcasting capital of the world when it comes to listenership. And we really are at the early, early stages of adoption. I look at it in the classic adoption curve. We are in the early adopters phase. So if you look at a classic adoption curve, and I've got a chart on my website, go to podcastmaps.com for the show notes. If you look at the classic adoption curve, there are five stages effectively in the adoption of any mainstream technology. Innovators, early adopters, early majority, late majority, and laggards. So laggards, for example, that's where we are with like SMS now, for example. Innovators is where we are with Clubhouse. Early adopters is where we are with podcasting. Now, the next step with, with podcasting is what Clayton Christensen called crossing the chasm. That's going from early adopters to the early majority. Now, if podcasting goes from innovators to early adopters to early majority, that's effectively 50% of the market. And currently we're only at 16%, which is innovators and early adopters. It's probably not even that. I would say roughly 10 to 12%. So let's say we're 10 to 12% of the market. That makes complete sense because 500 million people listen to podcasts every week. Roughly, that's below 10% of the world's population. But if you exclude all the non-listening groups, you know, too young, too old, that kind of thing, people who don't have access to the internet, etc., it's probably about right. I would say it's about 12%. So let's say if it's 12%, it means we're in the early adopter cycle. That therefore means to get to the early majority, we're going to see a significant growth opportunity. What do I mean by that? So to go from 12% to early majority means going from 12% to 50%. That means a fourfold increase in podcast listenership 
if podcasts go mainstream. And really, we can see all the signs, but ultimately, I'll leave it to you, the listener, to decide whether or not podcasting will go mainstream. If it does, it means here in Asia alone, and I'm based in Singapore, for example, in Asia alone, there are 4 billion consumers, meaning let's say you take only 3 billion of those as potential of a in any market. These are, you know, the right age and they have access to technology, internet, for example, or a phone. That means 3 billion is 1.5 billion consumers in Asia alone. And look at the data on Asia. And one of the reasons I moved to Asia in 1995, originally moving to Japan, was my intrigue, my fascination with the future. So moving to Japan in the 90s really was about moving into the future. It's a bit different now. Japan isn't the market leader it once used to be, but we have China, we have Southeast Asia, we have Korea, for example, these markets, which lead in many, many different ways. So if you've got one and a half billion people in Asia regularly listening to podcasts, those are people who don't have a marketing and communications legacy. So they don't know how things should be or necessarily how brands should communicate. If you go to China, you know, go back a little bit in China when China was really globalizing around about the time of the Beijing Olympics. That's when you heard the stories about Chinese people having red wine with Coke and those kind of things, which are more now, I would suppose, extremes. They, they don't really exist anymore. But at the time when consumers were really adopting new technologies effectively or new products, there wasn't an established way of doing things. So they really could start with a blank slate. And from that blank slate, they could then decide how this should be done. And that's why in many instances, if you look at China and Asia, brands have this opportunity to reinvent themselves. Uh, you go back way back in the early days of the Chinese globalization as a consumer market, moving from the warehouse of the world to one of the largest middle classes of the world. And bear in mind that by the end of this decade, we're not talking future, future, but by the end of the 2020s, two thirds of the world's middle classes will be in Asia. So look at the trend when China opened up. It was brands like Kappa who were seen as, um, you know, there's a European um, sporty brand, which was a bit sort of cheap, a bit sort of like casual, that now got really invented in China and became like a premium brand. And we're seeing this. I mean, you see that in India with like Johnny Walker, for example. So there is a real opportunity here for marketing and communications people is that, you know, in these markets, and not just Asia, but globally, you have a new generation of consumers, people coming online and consuming products and technologies for the first time, really very much expedited by 2020. Look at what COVID has done to education, for example. It got teachers and professors online, which was a first. Students have been doing it for years. Kids had been learning from YouTube for years. My son learned 
pretty much everything he knows from YouTube. I mean, that's really a bit of a joke, but you'll be surprised what he knows about anything from seeing a YouTube video explaining what that anything is. But that's been around for years and it's taken the institutions years to catch up with this. And 2020 has really expedited that. And now that basically means that a new generation of consumers is coming online and COVID has accelerated the shift and therefore has exposed the ways of communication which were old-fashioned. For example, PR. For example, breakfasts. For example, events and white papers. Whilst they may be reasonably effective today, they don't measure up to the price you have to pay for them. Take a PR company, for example, sending press releases, getting you breakfast meetings, getting you in the media. Now, obviously, the more proactive PR companies have evolved beyond that very old-fashioned way of doing business. But the point being is that doesn't work for new customers. And therefore, we have to find new ways to reach new audiences. And podcasters, podcasts are one of those ways. Look at the podcast audience. If you split the audience down into two key groups, we have the heavy users who really are that innovator and early adopter group. And then you have the bystanders. And why I say there are two groups is because understanding who you're talking to at any one point about podcasts is key to understanding the validity of their opinion. Case in point, years ago, I used to work in telecoms and communications, and I helped mobile companies around the world, companies like Nokia and Vodafone, and later on companies like MTV. I helped them develop strategies for mobile phones and young customers. I helped them position their technology for young people. And at the time, I remember going to the US and bear in mind, I'd come from Japan at the time and I'd seen young people in Japan, Japanese high school girls using mobile phones. I came back to the Europe and I saw similar kind of trends in Scandinavia, in Finland, in Norway and Sweden, young people using text messaging. This was like 1998, 1999. I went to the US in 2000, around about the time of the dot-com boom, went down to San Jose and Silicon Valley and showed up and started talking about young people and mobile phones. And you know what they said to me? They said, oh, we don't need mobile phones here because, or we won't use mobile phones here because uh, we're used to big screens. Uh, because, you know, people aren't going to use small screens. People are used to TV. And here in America, for example, uh, we drive to work. Whereas you guys in Japan and London, you get on the tube and therefore you need sort of, you know, something to look at. You can't look at a, you can't listen to the radio. You can't, um, you know, look at your screen, uh, your big screen. So you need these small devices. And that's what I heard consistently 2000 to about 2003, 2004. People saying these were the majority or even the late majority looking at innovators and early adopters of mobile phone services and saying that ain't going to work here or the most commonly used objection, we are different here. And what I would say to you, audience, is that you're going to hear this now because we're in a similar state 
with early adopters and the majority, the majority being observers of podcasts. And they're looking at podcasts and saying, oh, I don't have 30 minutes in the day to listen to audio or, you know, I'd rather have video. And that is the same. It's the majority looking at the early adopters and saying, quote, I don't get it, unquote. And then what happens is, is that comms and marketing leaders listen to the majority and the majority tell them that it's got to be shorter or it has to have video, et cetera, et cetera. Because the majority don't have a stake in podcasts. They don't have any skin in the game and therefore their advice carries no risk. If they give you bad advice about how your podcast should be, it doesn't matter because they're not going to listen to it. They don't consume podcasts anyway. The opinions you should be listening to are the users who are already actively consuming podcasts. You look at the data here, and this is from my podcast market report. Heavy users tend to be early adopters, aged 18 to 34, in a leadership position. They often listen at work. So figure that out. They listen to most of the episode and they have high levels of engagement. And if you look at the data, again, from the podcast market report, 44%, the biggest group, 44% of listeners listen to most of the episode. Only 10% listen to less than half. And this is self-reported, by the way, so take it with a pinch of salt. Most people are listening to most of the episode. So figure it out. Now, in my podcast SEO guide, and if you want all this data in the guides, go to podcastmaps.com. We found by analyzing roughly 900,000 podcast episodes in business. So that's the business category and all the subcategories of business on iTunes. And I'll talk about categories in a future episode of podcast maps and importantly, which category you should select for your podcast. The point is, is that the average podcast length was 34 minutes and that varies by category. And in the future episode, I talk about how that does vary by category. For example, entrepreneurship is the highest and marketing is the shortest podcast. So that is what audiences are used to. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the best. It just means take 100,000 episodes in your category. And this is the average, meaning this is what audiences have been trained to listen to. Sure, somebody may come in and make them shorter. Somebody may make them longer, but that's the, the average. And therefore, you know, if you want to be successful, the key is to identify deviations from the norm and reduce the variables in your podcast. So that's a key point of podcast SEO is like, what are the best practices? And this is what I'll talk about in the next episode, podcast SEO best practices. And I'll leave you with this, is that podcast analytics is a black box. What I mean by that is that pretty much everything everybody says about their podcast and how many downloads they get is not true. I can tell you examples off record of people who have claimed to have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of downloads, and it's quite clearly not true because they are being outranked 
by smaller podcasts on iTunes because we have the data. So that challenges the notion of audiences as currency of success for your podcast, meaning that I cannot verify your podcast data, your audience data against mine, because the only way I can see your audience data is if you let me have a look inside Spotify or iTunes, right? And the reason for this is important, that in the world of Google and websites, Google is an advertiser and it wants to make as transparent as possible all the data for advertisers, because the more they can make it transparent, the more you can advertise. By contrast, iTunes, Apple, Apple Podcasts, as you should say, as it's now called, and Spotify are not advertisers. Yes, they do have advertising, but that's not core to their model. Their model relies on other forms of revenue, i.e. subscriptions, or even maybe in some cases paid sponsorships. Now, what that means is that they want to keep the data for themselves because if you have all the data that they have, you are an equal feeling to them. And that's that's the Google game, is that they want to democratize the data because it benefits them. Yet Apple and Spotify want to keep that data. So therefore, they don't want to publish the audience data of all of the podcasts out there because it's in, not in their interest. They want to own that data. It's theirs and not yours, not the advertisers. What that then means is that Everybody that says they are having X thousand downloads on their podcast is self-reported, meaning you just have to trust what they're saying. It's the same way that when asking people what they eat, they probably eat much healthier in what they say than in reality. And that's one of the problems we find with self-reported data. However, if we can find a measure and this is what I'll talk about in the podcast SEO guide, the three key metrics for podcast success. If we can find a measure, a benchmark, a currency we can all agree in and believe in, and importantly, think about that word credibility. Credo is the Latin for believe. And it's the same word that underscores credit and the whole credit system that we have. The fact is that if I give you a piece of paper with $10 written on it, you have to believe that you can then buy something else for $10, right? If you get a note from me and you walk into a store and you can't buy food with it, you're screwed, right? So then you don't come back to me and say, well, that doesn't work. And it's the same way with podcast metrics is that we have a situation where people are handing out monopoly money. They're handing out their own versions of their metrics. What we need to do is we need to change that. And in the next episode of Podcast Maps, I'll talk about podcast metrics and SEO. I'll talk about the three main metrics that you need to be mindful of as a podcast manager. And they are signing off here, one, podcast audience for obvious reasons. But podcast audience is an output metric and not an input net metric. And I'll talk about the differences in input and output in the next episode and why it's important to understand what the leading metrics which are upstream, and what are the following metrics downstream. So podcast audience as a downstream metric, but as an upstream metric, podcast ranking. So where are you positioned in the podcast store? Because that is relative and it is believable and credible. Everybody can see it. If I say I'm number two, 
I'm there. I'm number two. You can't challenge that. And lastly, podcast SEO, keyword ranking. How do you rank for the subjects, the keywords, the topics that are important to you and what you care about? That's all coming up in the next episode of Podcast Maps. If you enjoyed this episode, I'll tell you where you can get all the resources about Podcast Maps. Easy, podcastmaps.com. My name's Graham Brown. 